Thank you for joining us for today's message. We believe God is going to do great things in your life. If God has impacted you through this ministry, partner with us in reaching others. Go to summitessay.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Give you a real simple message on a, a real challenge about how to have a good life. You want life to turn out well, there's a few things you need to do. And I want to talk a little bit about some principles for guidance taken from the life of Moses that apply to every one of us. So I read first from Hebrews 11, verse 23 through 29. It says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king had issued, Pharaoh had issued an edict to kill all the male Hebrew children. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And by faith the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do it, they were drowned. One of the great, great leaders of the Old Testament is Moses. And I want to look at some of the principles that were guidance points that helped him stay on track and that will help you and I stay on track. So here we go. Number one, never live with someone else's labels on your life. Don't you let other people label you and then you live up or down to those labels. It says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Our world and our culture loves to label people. Oh, he's smart. You'll never be anything. You'll never have anything. You'll never amount to anything. This one is slow, a slow learner. That one's, oh, she, she's a divorcee. He's a liberal. She's a Democrat. Labels, labels, labels. They, Christians are notorious for it. Uh, a couple of years ago, George, you remember, one of our members was running for public office on a particular party label, and a very, very influential Christian leader in the city had him rejected because of the party affiliation that he was running under. And he was allowing that tag, that label, to define who this person was. And I told that leader at a luncheon, that's not who this guy is. He's a soul winner, a tither, he's faithful, he's a Bible study student. I mean, this is an incredible person of great value. And he says, well, I guess I need to meet him. And I brought that person to him, and in about a 45-minute meeting, he changed his mind completely after interviewing and asking questions, which means he was going to cancel a godly good man because of a label, and I'm telling you, don't you do that. 
There are people that run under a label from political party because it's the only one they could get under. But you don't know the value they carry. You can reject good people because of a label. I'm, uh, I'm not a part of the royal family. Well, I am the one in heaven, but Princess Harry is marrying uh, 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 Meghan Markle. What, what did I say? Princess Harry. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, well, I meant Prince Harry. And so the, the, the British tabloids are saying she's a divorcee. Like, that disqualifies her. I said, God's a divorcee. Jeremiah 3, verse 6, he divorced Israel and put her away with a bill of divorcement. I said, what nonsense. Maybe she married a jerk. Listen, I'd rather cut my losses. And you don't know. Maybe she was young, immature, was taken advantage of. Maybe this guy was unfaithful. You don't know the situation. But just to throw somebody away, oh, she's a divorcee. Like, so what? You may be an old witch, still married. <laughs> don't do that to people. Don't do that to people. Well, she's a single woman with a child. She's not married. So that doesn't mean this isn't a person of great value, great potential, great. But we love to put labels on people because then we can cancel them, and we don't even know them. You get people do that. I remember sitting with some of our creditors in the '08 collapse in America, and. Uh, people were saying things and whatever and churches were falling under uh, bankruptcy by the by 350 the largest in American history businesses were going out of business and I remember that all of our creditors in 08 that financed this multi-million bill flew in to meet us and after meeting with the board our finance committee and me the main one looked across the table and said Charlie Leroy's here he was in that meeting said Pastor Godwin you've been misrepresented. And I says, happens to me all the time. I know. <laughs> and they were so pleased and so happy and we never heard from them again. All was good. But it's amazing. People can slander you, say something on a blog about you, and gullible people just believe it and they've not met you, don't know you, and don't know it's not even the truth. I mean, we live in a day when I don't know what you can believe anymore. But I know one thing I can believe. I've met you. I know you. I know who you are. And therefore, I accept you. But I can't do that if I just reject you off of a label. So some of you have been told by a coach, you're not an achiever. Somebody told Michael Jordan, he had no future in basketball. Don't you know that is the, the biggest idiot ever to have to live with that. So who's, who's labeled you? Who, what label did a parent put on you, a coach, a teacher? And that you're going to live down to that label instead of up to who God has declared you to be. And I'm trying to say, don't you do that. Well, Rick, I've had two marriages. Okay, well, God bless you. Maybe we're going to get it right on the third. Maybe you've learned what not to do, and you still have a great... In fact, I met somebody a week ago, and that's exactly the situation, and they have learned a great deal. People make mistakes. People sometimes do a dumb thing, but don't let it define who you are and who you're going to be. Don't you do that. Thank God for the grace of God and His mercy. You may have been told you can't do anything, but God can do great things through anybody. And if you're going to do what God wants you to do, you've got to say no to labels that people want to give you. You may have been told you have no future, but God is the only one who, who can de describe or declare your future. When I was in the rock and roll business, I got married in a bar. A lot of us in the band did. Very stupid, totally nuts, not thinking right. 
And when I heard the good news of the God, I was nearly 30. And I said, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to accept Jesus. Uh, my life isn't working right. I'm going to give it to God. I remember that. I remember my wife said, if you become a Christian, I will divorce you. Well, I did and she did. And I remember that in the Baptist church, a couple of the leaders said to me, Ricky G, God won't use you because you're a divorcee. If they could see me now. Yeah. And I've never heard from those people, nor will you ever. But I determined that is not possible. Not possible to do a good thing and then God wouldn't use you. That's stupid. Well, welcome to the church. It's no wonder churches have a reputation of being absolutely nuts, not thinking, unknown to Scripture, and totally unlike Jesus. So if that's your story, you're in the right place. So I'm glad you're here, and nobody's going to put a label on you except Jesus. All right? I hope so. But I've, I've done that all my life. People think I'm mean. People think they just sit there and they see dark eyebrows, recessed eyes, and they make a dumb judgment. I'm the sweetest, cuddly, merciful person you ever met in your life. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Are you married? Can I marry? Okay, thank you. I'm, I'll add you to the list. I, I appreciate any support I can get. But when people get to know you, and I guarantee you've had it happen too, some of you. We have a big guy in security. We have a couple of big guys over there, Jay and uh, 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 Philip De La Rosa, and, and Philip is huge. And when I first met Philip and he got saved in our church in our old location, he had real long hair over his shoulders. He, he had a bodybuilder kind of a jacket on. I mean, he just looked like a bouncer in a nightclub, which he did. And uh, about two weeks after he was in the, the a book, Christian bookstore trying to get some music albums, and some dipstick walks up behind him, a Christian fundamentalist, and said, I can't believe your pastor allows you to go out looking like that. Oh, my God. And then Philip turned around and looked at this little peep squeak he could twist into a pretzel and said, you can go down those stairs or I will put you down those stairs. And the little wuss turned around and down he went. And I thought, how stupid you're going to label. I, that when I first saw him, I thought, what's he doing here? That's, I mean, he looked way weird. <laughs> he is the sweetest, tenderest hearted person you ever met in your life. He is a teddy bear. And so is Jay and some of these big, big guys. Big heart. But just look at him, you'll make a judgment or you'll put a label and then you'll miss a great blessing in your life. So don't live up or down to labels people put on your life. Let God declare who you are. The most powerful opinion you'll ever have is the one you have about yourself. Everything that holds you back in life, everything that restricts you, finds its root in a lie about your identity. And Satan's greatest attack on a believer is in the area of their identity. He does not want you to believe you are who God has declared you to be now. He wants you to be tied to your past or to sin or to a failure instead of what God has said about you. And if he can get you doubting that, then you can be patronized, you can be uh, put down, you can be restricted, and you'll never live up to your full potential. When he attacked Jesus, what did he say? If you are the Son of God, if you are who God the Father has declared you to be. And Jesus wasn't intimidated or impressed. 
when he attacked Eve. He said, if you'll do what God told you not to do, then you'll be like God. Well, they were already like God. God says they made them in their image and likeness of God. But he wanted her to doubt who God was. And she did, and that's why we all need redemption today, because we've all sinned. Thank you, Adam and Eve. And if I could get Jay and uh, Philip to go back to their old man, when we get to heaven, I'd like you to punch out Adam one time. Just <laughs> stick it to him one time. Your authority is connected to your identity. Uh, you've got to know who you are, or people of this world, or the enemy will push you around, try to intimidate you. Bring illness on you, bring financial uh, hardship on you, bring relational hardship. But God's given us his word as a combat sword to fight. And he says, resist the devil. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Try that on your refrigerator instead of some flyaway, dumb little sweet by-and-by passage. Put something on there tough. You know, I, 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 endure hardness. All they that shall live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yeah, you'll get picked on in college. You'll get picked on in school. Somebody won't like you. A professor who's a liberal secular humanist won't like you. But if I know who I am, you don't intimidate me. I'm not going to change my thoughts or beliefs because of you trying to patronize me. I know who I am. And if you know who you are, you're not going to be led into doing something you know clearly is wrong. Just because the crowd's doing it, you don't have to do it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. A new life has begun. So scripture makes some declarations. Romans chapter 3, I am justified. Romans 8, I am not condemned. Try that one. Well, you don't know my past. I don't have to know it. If you've given it to Jesus, he doesn't even remember it. You are not condemned. I am free from the law of sin and death. I am more than a conqueror. These are all in Romans 8. 2 Corinthians 1, I'm established, I'm anointed. Ephesians 2, I am the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. I'm fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. Don't say God made a mistake when he made me. He made the right thing when he made you. You just don't know yet what he made you for. But when you find that, you're going to find out everything from your past and background, including hardships, was designed to make you for your future and your purpose. He didn't make a mistake. Well, you don't know my parents said I was a surprise. Well, not to God, but to them you were. And even if you were conceived illegitimately outside of marriage, you're not a mistake. God used their DNA to make you. You didn't come from those parents. You came through those parents. You came from God. God said to Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, before that sperm hit the egg, I knew you. I called you. And I ordained you. You're here right on time. So how about waking up, you know, speak up and declare that you're not a mistake. You, you're a mission in the mind of God. Peter said, I'm a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I don't have to be in the UK with Prince Harry to be in the royal family. I'm in the biggest royal family in the world. I'm a child of the king. I'm a priest and a king. So Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Number two, remember that what is right is not always easy. What is right is not always easy. Verse 21, Hebrews 11, Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Doing what's right is usually not always easy. So Moses chose, he wasn't a victim, he chose to suffer affliction. He said, I'm making a choice. I'm going to deal with problems that I could avoid, but I don't have to. 
I'd rather deal with problems and be with God than to have no problems and be without God. So you have to make choices in life. And his choice was, I'm going to do what's right, even though it's not going to be easy for me. And a lot of believers think that if I do exactly what God wants me to do, everything's going to be joyful and fine. Huh, I'm sorry, but you need to wake up and have a cup of coffee. That's not going to, all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer some persecution. In this world, you will have, not maybe, you will have some tribulation, even doing the right things. You've got to remember there's a war. There's the kingdom of, of God, and there's the kingdom of the enemy, light and darkness, and they're in conflict and have been since the beginning of the fall of man. We are in a warfare, and the enemy will take and beat your lights out if you don't wake up to the fact that he doesn't like you, and he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And his people, God's people, are destroyed because of what they don't know. The reason we have some classes, George Arugio over here teaches them on apologetics, is to find out what's in your stinking Bible. Quit using it to put on the coffee table, but get it in your heart and find out what God says, and then you can call the enemy a liar. You can challenge a bad thought. You can challenge a bad... I'm telling you, 98% of the church may say, well, well, the Catholics, they don't read the Bible. Well, hello, Protestants don't either. So what good is it? And if you don't know it, he'll tear you up. He knows God's word. The enemy could quote it as good as you or me and quoted it to Jesus. And he'll take it out of context. He'll misdrew it. But he'll do anything he can to steal, kill, and destroy you. So sometimes you have to do what's right, even though it won't be easy. How many of you know staying married is not easy? And yet to do what's right and make some choices that you, your flesh would like to make otherwise is difficult. Sure it is. Say no sometimes. I'm going to do a series on words that define your future. I'm going to give you several of them, like yes or no. That's a good word. No, no, no. That helps define who you're going to be and how your future is going to turn out. How about sorry? These are little words we start teaching our toddlers. What do you say? Please, thank you. Right? Yeah. How simple is this? None of this is... None of this is an angel coming down and putting dust over your head and making you glow. Nobody has to get up and do a great prophecy. Yay, 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 my sister. I'm giving you about the simplest outline for a life that will continue to go up and to be good. Not without trouble, but going through that trouble, growing in grace and knowledge. And you won't have as much of a difficult time as people who just live from crisis to crisis instead of living by design. God wants you to live life by design. Sometimes it'll be lonely, sometimes inconvenient, and sometimes unpopular, but you've got to be able to make a choice. Number three, determine your non-negotiables and never compromise them. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. If anybody tells you sin isn't fun, they are stupid. There is pleasure in sin, but God says it's short term, and it pays off very horrible dividends. But you couldn't be tempted to do wrong if there wasn't some pleasure in it. And so clearly, he says, he, he did not choose to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, some people say, I want to change in my life. That's good, but there are some things you should never change. What are your non-negotiables? That ought to be a short list. Non-negotiables. Never for sale. Never with discussion. 
never an issue. Never, never are we going to cross that line or go there, period. Like integrity and trust and character, non-negotiable. No, no, I don't have to pray about it. Don't have to think about it. No, no. I went to the jail to visit a minister under a, con a felony who was trying to make up deficit in the church by laundering cartel money through the church and getting to keep 10% of it, and he thought that'd be a great idea. So the FBI and the D, D what do you call it, drug enforcement? Yeah, some of you know who that is. <laughs> DEA, Merry Christmas. The DEA, uh, security, keep your eyes on these people over here, all right? Yeah, they, uh, they set him up in a sting, busted him, and he went to prison. And you know what he said to me, George? You talk about using scripture wrong. He said, I sat with him, he's crying, and I was just trying to pray for him and try to figure out what was in his mind. He says, well, the Bible says that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, the just. I thought, well, yeah, but that wasn't, you don't do something illegal to get the wealth of the wicked. And he'd lost the church and lost his future. Shame. Uh, sad. I guess he didn't have any counsel around him to make such a, a terrible choice. But there's just not for sale. Number four, have the courage to take a stand. Not always, but there'll be times you need to take a stand. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now, if you want to build trust and represent God, you have to stand against injustice, racism, and prejudice. And that won't always be popular. So I want anybody, any group, any minority, any race that comes to this church to know you will be represented fairly. You will not be discriminated against. You will not be patronized. You will not be labeled and canceled. You will be treated fairly, righteously, and just. And that ought to be a non-negotiable with any church, with any Christian. Uh, but I tell you what, I told you about a very a very popular white church in this city that's an ultra-white political party, too, and a girl that I met at Discount Tires with an earned Ph.D. with dreadlocks came from the Caribbean, and she went to visit that church trying to find a church. to. to she wanted to be a teacher and help in, in a church from her country, and they said to her in the lobby, one of these fashionable ladies said, you're not our kind. I'll never forget that. You're not our kind. I looked at her right now, two inches. I said, we are. You come over. Come over and see me. We're your kind of people. Anybody kind. What kind of people? You look at God's genealogy, he got all kind of people in there. Oh, kind of people in there. And so churches ought to have all kind of people in them too. You know, like an emergency room doesn't just say, oh, you're bleeding. Go outside until you stop bleeding and then come in. <laughs> That's just stupid. All right. So Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing. Sometimes you can't remain silent on a value. It takes courage. And so Moses didn't care. He took an action, made a choice, and sometimes you will too. Number five, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. That's focus. It says in verse 27, Moses did all this seeing him who was invisible. For a believer, that's God. And if you keep your eyes on the world system, it will discourage you. The more you focus on this life, the less you'll enjoy his life. It says he was looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, 
verse 2. So no matter how chaotic this world gets, you keep your eyes on God's Word and you keep your focus on Him. When I was in pilot training many, many moons ago, I remember getting an instrument license that means you can fly without visual references. I don't have to be able to see uh, the land and the sky and the horizon. I fly by instruments. So all the Top Gun boys in my class were all convinced I can fool that. You can't fool me about what direction I'm going. So they put you in a chair, blindfold you, and spin it. And then they will make you decide, am I in a left turn, a right bank? Am I, am I ascending, descending? Am I straight and level? Not anybody can or has ever passed it because your physical senses will lie to you. And they want you to know that without exception, that you can only trust one thing when you can't see anything, and that's that instrument. So I'm looking at my airspeed, I'm looking at my heading indicator, and I'm looking at my, my uh, artificial horizon. It doesn't lie to me. And so I don't talk to the co-pilot. I'm not looking around having a cup of coffee. When I'm on instruments, unless you've got an autopilot, I'm looking right focused on that instrument. It's very strenuous, and I keep my focus. And then when I break out of the clouds and all, it's a great feeling of relief because now my natural senses see that I'm right, that I'm on the runway lineup, everything looking good but boy if you don't learn that as a believer there will be times the sun goes out it's dark you don't know what's up or down and you have to rely strictly on God's word he made a promise and that word does not change heaven and earth will pass away but my word shall never pass away so I I'm gonna live by that word alone and that will save your life so number six one more after this Here's a, real, here's a real mystical one. You ready? Some of you woo, woo, woo people. This is a good one. Do what God says. How hard is it? Do you realize 50% of you in this room would have a better life if you just obeyed number six? Do what God says. Verse 28. Through faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that's, this is a destroying angel, should touch their firstborn. Now, it's interesting he kept the Passover. But understand, Moses had never seen a Passover. There had never been a Passover. This is the first Passover. It's one thing to do what's always been done. It's another thing to do what's never been done. And he's going to do it for God, and he doesn't actually know what he's doing. He's just obeying God. So he kept the Passover. And it represented the fact that a lamb, a four-legged lamb, would be slain that lamb represented the lamb of God, Jesus, and the blood of that slain lamb is going to be applied to the doorpost of a home. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So when I slit that lamb's throat and put the blood on the door, the angel goes over and says, judgment has already occurred at that house. When the enemy looks at your life, he's not looking at the fact you don't smoke that you haven't committed adultery, that you haven't been drunk, that you go to church regularly. That won't save you. He's looking for blood. The blood of the Lamb Jesus says, judgment, my judgment has been placed on another. I am declared justified. I am free from judgment. I'm not free from the consequences of a bad choice, but not judgment. No judgment will ever come upon me. And if you're a believer, on you either. That's important to know. Why? Because the blood of the Lamb 
has covered my life when I accepted Jesus. Some of you, the church is not going to cover you. Good works won't cover you. Good morality won't get you into heaven. There are people who are not Christians that live better than some of you. But they won't go to heaven. They'll have a better life on earth. But you don't get to heaven by a good life. You get to heaven because of a good life of a substitute. That was Jesus who kept the law for you. So you and I get grace or none of us would go to heaven. So they were protected by the blood of God's lamb. But to Moses, what did it look like to old Moses? A home-cooked meal. They killed that lamb. They roasted the lamb. They ate the lamb. looked like a barbecue. But to God, it looked like Jesus. So we do things down here God asks, and we don't always understand the full ramifications of what they might mean up there to God. So in life, learn to do what God says. I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus, I got baptized without debate. I didn't wait 20 years to get baptized. I just did what God said. I started giving the first part of my income, 10%, with no debate. I can remember the first check I ever wrote for my 10%, and that was when I got saved, and I've been doing it ever since for now 73 years. I started attending church regularly. Nobody had to call me. Nobody had to wake me up. Nobody says, remember tomorrow now. We got two services. You need to be there. I found a place to serve with no debate. I just did what God said. And it's amazing how many good things happen in life when there's no mystical thing going on. You just did what God said. You just obeyed. Half of you could do better financially if you'd learned to trust God. Half my staff doesn't give a penny to this church. Oh, boy, they're in the yoke with me, aren't they? Yeah. I'd hate to know less than 3% give a tithe at all. You, most people are takers. Not, they, want God to do, to tr they want to trust God to do something good for them, but God can't trust them. Can God trust you? Could God trust you with wealth? Could God trust you with influence or power? <laughs> I don't know. I'd be afraid for some people. God says if you're unfaithful with a little, you'll be unfaithful with much. And I thought, I didn't need anybody to give. I Cindy's got our check. We come to church. I've watched Philip many times in the, in the security lounge, writing out his check in the morning to the Lord on the income. He didn't wait for some tear-jerking sermon about or conviction or condemnation to give to God. It's like God gave me his best, and he tells me, Rick, I'll protect your money if you'll give me the first part. Well, I just don't believe. Well, I just, oh, shut up, stay dumb and broke. Shut up. <laughs> Live from paycheck to paycheck. Don't do what God says. Argue with him. Well, I don't see any need to get baptized. Well, then don't. Don't. Just keep disobeying. So Wait for some mystical something to happen in your life. Maybe an angel will come in your bathroom and appear to you or something. I, I don't know. God knows. I just get so irritated about how many people stumble, not over the tough things, simple things. And, and why, not, why not serve? Why? Jesus said, the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. And if you hate serving and giving, you need to go worship Buddha. You, you need to go get another God. Because this God left heaven, became a man, came to earth, suffered our punishment, our judgment, rejection, so you could have acceptance with the Father. Talk about giving. I can't even get you to show up and serve for something. And then you won't call if you're not coming. That's what I can't understand. Call and say, I, I'm sick. I've had a car wreck. I can't. My wife's fallen ill. One of the children's been hurt. I won't be there. God bless you. That's being faithful. But half the people won't even show up. Don't call. 
Wonder why things in life are always so hard. Yeah, okay, I'll move on. <laughs> never live with somebody else's labels. Remember, what's right's never easy. Determine your non-negotiables and don't compromise. Have the courage to take a stand when necessary. Keep your eyes on the ball. Focus on Jesus. Do what God says. And last, number seven, say goodbye to the past. Say goodbye to your past. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea on dry land. And when the Egyptians tried to do it, they were drowned. So if you're going to be a highly successful person for God, you've got to learn to say goodbye to the past. Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind. Remember not the former things, the prophet Isaiah says. Don't drag that baggage with you. Don't, you don't want to carry on on this flight. Check the bag with Jesus. The, the Bible says, cast your care on him, for he cares for you. Pitch that sucker. Don't you carry the past. When the Egyptians were drowned, God was saying, your past has now been cut off. You're going to occupy land. You're no longer a slave nation. Get that, get that complex off of you. Dump it. Some of you have been divorced. Some of you have been, had a business partner uh, steal, defraud you. goes on all the time. It's called sin in the human race. But if you can't get past that and let it go, it'll, it'll poison you the rest of your life and limit your future. You have to learn to be a good forgetter. If God's forgiven it, you forget it. If God says, Rick, what are you talking about? I have no record. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions, and I'll remember them no more. What the heck am I carrying it for? The guilt, the guilt. Beat me some more. I deserve it. Beat me some more. God's not into beating. Jesus took the beating on the cross. And he says there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. So the enemy's weapon against you is guilt, shame, and condemnation. But the blood of Jesus has cleansed me, made judgment for me, and the enemy is a liar. I, I'm not accused. I am not condemned. I am righteous. As my wife. No, don't. I'm certainly legally righteous, okay? But that's been given to me, imputed to me by Jesus. So a lot of you could do a lot better. Forget the husband who left you. Get on with your life. God hasn't forsaken you. He'll be a father to you. He'll be a husband to you. He can make your future open up. It may be this time. Maybe you've learned from the past, but don't repeat it. And for God's sake, forget it. Whether it was bad, your failure, or whether it was done to you. I've been robbed twice. Three, this last one was the whole house and every valuable for 40 years I've ever given to my wife and I had had a 70th birthday and all my minister friends around the world bought me some expensive gifts I mean some pricey gifts I enjoyed them for one week and they're all gone I didn't even have a chance to get them insured nothing, gone but I took 24 hours first I took a Glock and I went running around the yard <laughs> I did and Brandon Irons came over with me as well. And we took a halogen light, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, and I ran across every piece of our property, and I'm looking for a thief. But never found him. And I knew right then, you're never going to see that again. You might as well get over it right now. And then I just started, st I said, first thing I better do is forgive these people. So I chose, I don't, if I knew who they were, I'd seek justice. But I don't know who they are. Not revenge, justice. That's biblical. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says God. But justice is correct. All right. But the point was, there were no fingerprints. It was a professional job, and I've learned a good lesson out of that. That's not going to happen again. But I forgave them.
I just made it. It wasn't an emotion. My emotion was to kill, but it was a choice. I choose to forgive these people, Lord. And then secondly, I began to quote scripture. You know, God says, I will supply all your need. The thief shall restore sevenfold. I began quoting the scripture, and I got right on. I wasn't 24 hours into sucking my thumb and feeling sorry for myself. I'm quite serious about it. You can ask my wife. I think she took it a lot harder because it affected her over the 40 years of a history of a marriage. Men buy things for their wives, and then they're irreplaceable, and then they're all gone. So it's a, it's a pretty big shock. But I'm saying, I've never let any of the past betrayal, slander, falsely accuse. I've had that happen so many times you wouldn't believe it, but you will never hear me talk about it or see it unless I'm giving you an illustration to so help you. That's all. I don't think about it. I feel like my future is unlimited. God says, what I began in you, I'll perform it to Jesus. Don't you be worrying about stuff. I'll take care of stuff in time. So I've never had a greedy hand on anything, and I hope you don't either. So trust God and let it go. Quit mourning over that thing or it'll never leave your head or your mind and start standing on God's promises. So review quickly. Simple steps. Number one, never live with somebody else's label on your life. Stop it now. Number two, remember what's right is never easy. Number three, determine your non-negotiables and don't compromise them. Number four, have the courage to take a stand. Number five, focus. Keep your eyes on the ball, on God's word. Number six, do what God says. And number seven, say goodbye to the past. Amen. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.